Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you back with us once again as we close down, wind down the offseason. About four weeks left to go, really, until the Hornets will be back on the floor for preseason action. I think we're now less than 25 days away from the Hornets preseason opener on the road at Oklahoma City, and of course, training camp will start even closer but in between now and then still some stories we'd like to touch on here on the Hornets Hivecast. Today we're going to be talking about the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies taking place this weekend. Some of our favorite members of this class and notable members for us here. We're also going to talk about the Eastern Conference Power Rankings. NBA.com put out its Eastern Conference Power Rankings and well, we don't think it was too kind to the Hornets. We'll talk about that as well and finally, in segment number one we're going to talk about what the Hornets players are up to right now a player-led summit if you will taking place in Miami where the roster is getting together getting familiar with one another working on their games individually and collectively we'll talk about what that means for the upcoming season helping me on all of these topics he's the writer guy on hornets.com Sam Purley and my producer from the Hornets radio network Rob Longo gentlemen good to be back with you once again let's start off with the team essentially moving down south to Miami a player led excursion chance to get in the gym work with each other it's something that we honestly don't see every team do and quite frankly it's kind of a rarity in the NBA for this type of thing to take place you sometimes hear about it in the NFL a quarterback will bring together his wide receivers and they'll do some work at a local high school field but in the NBA you don't hear about it quite as much Sam Purley what are some of the details you've heard and what does it really mean for the Hornets yeah I mean it's a really cool thing that's happening I mean there's no other way to put it I mean we have training camp three weeks away or about three weeks away and to have every guy kind of already essentially you're you're ready to go like you're kicking off things now this is sort of like an unofficial start to it in a sense and it's like it's I love that it's entirely player driven I love that it's just the guys getting to know each other I love that every guy seems to be there and you've got a lot of guys that weren't on the team last year that don't necessarily have relationships with guys like Terry and LaMelo and things like that that are in this together so I don't think you can be anything but encouraged and I think it's really cool too that Terry who is based in Miami in the offseason said multiple times that's kind of where he trains in the offseason has kind of led this thing coming off the extension I mean you talk about really a good thing to do right after getting that extension is really showcasing a lot of leadership and organizing something like this to get everybody to together get to know each other I mean it can only be beneficial for the team and I just think it's really really cool I mean I've never at least personally seen another team do this when you have every guy on the roster get together three weeks before training camp in a different city just to kind of get to know each other so it's awesome I love it and I love that the players are the ones that kind of organize this thing Rob Terry Rozier taking that leadership role when he got the extension I think a lot of people were looking at it saying okay what will the next step be and I think here he has signified that it's not just about what he can do individually, it's what he can do leading this team. And you've got other leaders on the squad, notably Gordon Hayward, but this is really Terry Rozier taking some ownership saying, I'm now one of the big money guys, I'm one of the featured players on this team, the here and now, it's going to happen based off my leadership and what I can bring to the table, and taking that very seriously and doing something, as Sam mentioned, that is uncommon in the NBA in terms of this summit. And I think that's the correlation there in terms of Terry, of course, is now 
one of the big money guys, but he has to be one of those leaders. I mean, in all honesty, he's one of the longest tenured Hornets now that the way that this roster has shaped in the offseason. It's just, you know, one of those things that I, I look at and I think it's a correlation between being a leader and being an all-star. I think you have to be a leader first to become an all-star. And, you know, there's obviously some young rising stars like a Zion Williamson, who I'm sure he has a leadership and he has a strong voice in that locker room from New Orleans, but he hasn't been that veteran presence that you would normally accustomate to a leader in a locker room, more or less, for lack of a better term. So, you know, it's great to see Terry just weave into that leadership role along with Gordon Hayward. You can't ask for much more, I don't think. And, you know, there's still a lot of young guys on this roster. Watched a little bit of the videos of some of the drills that they were doing that were circulating on social media. A lot of the guys look good. I'm really excited from what I saw with what has transpired so far in Miami. One more thing on Terry's, you know, leadership role here. He he's always been a lead by example type of person and player. He's not necessarily a rah rah, I'm going to lead the huddle type of guy. He's I'm Superman, get on the cape and let's go do this thing. And I think in some of the videos that we've seen via social media from from whoever's doing it for Terry and the players there, you see a lot of that. It's not long speeches, it's thanks for coming, thanks for being here, thanks for buying in. Now let's get to work and you know hopefully that all rubs off one other thing on this about how uncommon it is players are at different places in their careers in their contracts and how they feel about you know their standing it's not always easy to get everyone to buy in to let's invest even more time so the fact that the hornets from guys that are rookies who haven't been a part of this before to guys who are entering contract years all across the spectrum are coming in with a singular focus is very notable you made a good point of you've got guys at different points of their career and really different points of their life. You've got guys with families. You've got guys that have just left college that are 18, 19 years old, like James Booknight and Kai Jones. And, you know, I don't know how they are personally, but if I'm a rookie that's never played with these guys, has only played five summer league games or four summer league games, that might be a kind of an intimidating environment just to go down to you playing against, you know, guys that have been in the league for seven, eight years. I mean, guys that debuted in the NBA, maybe when you were in elementary school or middle school. So the fact that there's sort of this comfort level in this, we keep saying, the word buy-in that guys you know if we're serious about making a jump this year and we're serious about being a team that's really competitive that's going to win a lot of games this year it's going to start not at the end of September it's going to start now let's get together now let's get a jump start on things when you know September 25th or 26th when our training camp starts comes together we're firing on all cylinders because training camp is not going to be I mean it's not a very long time you've got a few weeks you've got a few preseason games and then it's ready to go and you look at last year too you made a good point about the offseason I mean this was a big offseason in the sense of how crazy last year was but the fact that the guys are kind of getting roaring again already is I mean on how you could not be excited if you're a Hornets fan right or just seeing this makes you feel like basketball is just right around the corner. An overwhelmingly positive step for the Hornets that they're taking and the players are doing of their own volition. Something, though, that maybe it didn't factor in at all, but it's certainly based off the power rankings we're seeing from NBA.com for the Eastern Conference. Well, there's some meat left on the bone there. Is that that a fair statement, Sam Perley? Yeah, I can tell uh, this is a topic that you put in here intentionally just so you could you're ready to get fired up today so bring a lot of energy and i'm ready so everyone buckle up for this next segment (laughs) yeah there there's uh there's 15 teams in the eastern conference and uh, the hornets are decidedly on the outside looking in at the playoff picture based off this they're on the outside looking in at the play-in picture looking at these power rankings we'll talk about them next here on the hornets Hivecast. hornets fans the buzz is building 
For season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season, call 704-HORNETS or visit hornets.com to chat live with a season ticket representative. Lock in your price today. Sam Farber, Rob Longo, Sam Purley here with you on the HHC, another off-season edition of the Hornets Hivecast. We're going to talk off-season power rankings, NBA.com, putting theirs out number one in the East. They have the Brooklyn Nets number two, the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. And all the way down at number 12, they have positioned the Charlotte Hornets. Rob, the Hornets ahead of just Cleveland, Detroit, and Orlando three teams that were very high lottery teams a season ago and most people assume with how young those rosters are that they're likely to end up in a similar position again. Charlotte not even given credit to the spot they were in last year. These power rankings say the Hornets will regress. What do you think about these power rankings? I said it before we started recording a podcast. I'll say it again. Off-season power rankings are just dumb. Like they just don't make any sense. You're you're doing power rankings based off of free agent moves and trade acquisitions and those sorts of things. So it's just basically it comes down to how do I think this team looks on paper? And you look at the upper echelon of some of these power rankings, like the Atlanta Hawks at three. I understand Atlanta made a really deep playoff run last year, but they didn't really add anybody and they didn't really lose anybody. So I I guess you know just based off last year's results, you consider them one of the higher power rankings. You have Philly at four Miami at five which I thought was a little high just because you know you got Kyle Lowry and PJ Tucker adding to the mix but they lost a lot of people too so you know I just don't understand how some of these teams are ranked and it's certainly the Hornets at 12th I mean ahead of the Hornets you have the Wizards and the Pacers and there's a lot of questions around the Wizards and how they're going to look this season you know they added a lot of pieces in that Russell Westbrook trade but at the same time, I mean, the Pacers, come on. The Pacers at 11, I mean, I know the Hornets had some trouble with them last year. But again, they're another team that didn't really add a whole lot or lose a whole lot either. So I'm just, I'm a little baffled. I'll just leave it at that. Sam, most surprising team that has been put ahead of the Hornets, just to give kind of the full lay of the land again. Hornets number 12, Pacers are in at 11 on these NBA.com power rankings. Wizards are 10th, Raptors are 9th. Bulls 8, Celtics 7, Knicks 6, and onwards and upwards from there. To me, the most surprising one is the Toronto Raptors. This is a team that has let go of its leader in Kyle Lowry. He has departed from the Raptors, so most of that championship core is now gone. They do still have, obviously, some very significant pieces, but they've retooled things quite a bit. They were not good at all last year, and I know they faced more impediments from the pandemic than maybe any other team having to leave their home market for the entire season season, but nevertheless, they weren't good last year. I don't understand how they suddenly surge based off a somewhat surprising draft pick in many people's estimations And Scotty Barnes. Not saying he's not a great pick. I think he will be, but there were a lot of people surprised at their selection, and yet, these power rankings have them going all the way up to ninth and sending the Hornets down to 12th. Yeah, I would say Toronto, too. I think, like you mentioned, that Lowry is gone, and you're kind of you're really kind of looking at it, you're saying, we expect a lot of these young guys to make a jump, or we're expecting Fred Van Vliet to make a jump. We're expecting OG Ananobi to make a jump. Pascal Siakam to kind of get back on track. And I think they maybe just naturally get a boost because their situation was so odd last year, playing the entire year in Tampa. And I think they're kind of really weared on the team. And they've had a knack for kind of figuring it out. They get a lot out of their guys and one of the best developmental programs. So, you know, they're only 
two or three years removed from a championship at this point. So maybe some of it's just a benefit of the doubt that this is a great organization. Not saying that the Hornets aren't, but that Toronto is just, they somehow always kind of find a way. But yeah, I kind of agree. In this tier, a little bit of the Indiana, Washington, Toronto, find Charlotte kind of at the bottom of those four. You know, a lot of it's just going to come down to you need guys internally to make jumps and you need to stay healthy. And things are going to happen. Guys get hurt. And the other teams, I mean, you look at Indiana right now. I'm looking at this article and it's, they're expecting TJ Warren to be back. Well, you get news yesterday that TJ Warren is going to be out even longer than he has over the last year because he's dealing with a stress fracture in his foot. I mean, right there. How does that factor into it? Do you drop Indiana? You know, this is written with the premise that he's going to be available. Doesn't sound like he is. So it just circles back to things happen and you got to make strides internally. You need guys to have jumps. You need all your free agents. I mean, you know, you look at a team like the Bulls, they added a lot of free agents that look really good on paper. Are they all going to work together on the court? That's to be determined. So, you know, there's so many factors that come into play. Thankfully, like Rob, I don't get too riled up by the power rankings at all. Even in season, I think it's, you know, the only rankings that really matter as we know are the standings so that being said i'm going to tee it up and just pass it off to you if you want to go off on these power rankings so knock yourself well, out. <laughs> I, I do think it, it's as rob said you're either grading teams off of they made a significant addition I, I don't have a problem if anyone looks at say what chicago did major investment into some pieces like lonzo ball and demar Derozan, and you're putting them around zach levine who's one of the premier players i don't have a problem with someone saying okay they've made these kinds of big jumps and surging someone up what i don't understand is some of the teams that stood pat or lost pieces that are being given this major benefit of the doubt and nothing's being given to the Hornets here despite the fact that when healthy Charlotte was a superior team last year to squads like Indiana and Washington and Toronto you're giving the benefit of the doubt to other teams who are the teams that should fall below them let's go to Rob Longo first where should the Hornets be in the Eastern Conference power rankings right now and if you're moving the Hornets up who should fall below them? I would say, I was not prepared for this question, I would say... We're talking power rankings. Of course this question was coming. I should have known better. Um, I'd give them ninth. I'd put them in ninth. I'd drop everybody. I'd drop Toronto. I'd drop Washington. I'd drop Indiana just because you don't know how good those teams are going to be this season just because of the makeup of them. Again, you know, just like Sam mentioned with TJ Warren, you don't know how long he's going to be out. He's a great defensive player. You lose a piece like that and then your defense just kind of falls apart a little bit. So, you know, the offense is going to have to really pick things up for the Pacers and then you got Washington like I mentioned I don't know how good they're going to be with Russell Westbrook departing you know obviously they got a haul coming back for him in that trade with the Lakers but you know how are those pieces going to work out especially with a first year coach with Scott Brooks departing as well and then Toronto like you guys mentioned and touched on I mean I just don't think you know, based on what we saw last year, how much does playing at home and playing in your home market really matter at that point? It'll determine a lot because, I mean, you get to see your family, you get to sleep in your own bed and that sort of thing. So might be a little bit different, but I would definitely put the Hornets at least at nine because I don't think the Hornets got any worse in the offseason based off their moves. I don't think you can drop them from 10th. So I think they can go up a spot to nine. That's how I look at it. Sam Perley? I like that range too, the eight, nine range. I'm looking at the right now is the Wizards on this article. And one thing that stands out to me about the Wizards, like, Rob said there's so many new pieces I mean you just don't know who's going to play where you've got guys coming from different locations on paper it looks great same with the Bulls but you just don't know and I love how they mentioned one of their key departures is Robin Lopez's hook shot because that was one of the things I think just haunted the Hornets in that last game in Washington so thankfully that's out the door it's now in Orlando I think if you've kind of measured this in tiers you know that 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 range I think there's a pretty big gap between 12 
and 13. I think it's pretty definitively that Cleveland, Detroit, and Orlando are going to kind of be in that bottom tier of the Eastern Conference. But who knows? Things can happen, I think. But I, I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing to have. You know, a lot of these teams got better. I think Indiana gets better naturally with a coaching change. You know, they didn't add a whole lot player-wise. I mean, they swapped out. It's like Doug McDermott drafted Chris Duarte, but coaching change. I mean, that can make a huge difference. Obviously, we talked about Toronto. Bulls have really upgraded their roster. Wizards are clearly trying something different. So I think it's good in the sense that while it there is kind of a log jam down here, I think there's going to be a lot of competition. I think it's going to bring the best out of the Hornets. It's like you want to have competitive teams. You want to be able, if you're looking at the standings in late March, I think it helps having teams that are also competitive, that are also really talented, because I think that brings out the best in you, whether you're playing them or are you looking at the standings going down those final couple weeks? I think the Hornets if you really wanted to make some waves you could put them as high as sixth and I think make a credible argument for it but just the teams I'm going to move them ahead of automatically one is Indiana I think Doug McDermott's a bigger loss than people are giving it credit for that's a guy who could easily get you 20 points off the bench any given night if he was on a elite team we're talking about a sixth man of the year candidate potentially but he was not on an elite team and he had a fluctuate his role so much. I very much like Rick Carlisle as a head coach. I don't think it gives the Pacers that much of a boost and as we've talked about, they haven't done a whole lot else to change their roster and win healthy. The Hornets were the better team. I think that was pretty evident out there on the floor. Unfortunately, they weren't healthy a ton of the time, certainly down the stretch. Similarly with Washington, I think losing Russell Westbrook, granted, they got a whole package of players in, but how is that going to look? It remains to be seen. You've got the Toronto Raptors. You're giving an awful lot of credit to a very young Scotty Barnes and a much older Goran Dragic if you're going to say they're going to make a huge jump ahead of the Hornets, so I put Charlotte ahead of them. Chicago, I again, I like their moves. I, I'm okay with you know having them ahead of the Hornets. Boston, I wouldn't have a problem if someone in their power ranking said the Hornets should be ahead of them, considering Boston had such a tough time of it in the regular season last year, and if you're counting on the Hornets to be healthy, but I don't have a problem with the Celtics being ahead. The teams that I think you could make a, a serious argument, if you, if you wanted to be controversial, are the Knicks. I think you could say the Hornets might be better than them, that New York played above its weight class last year. I think that's a fair argument if you wanted to make it, but I think if you're just being conservative, Hornets is the number nine team on these rankings. I don't even think it's much of a question with how this roster is ascending. Even the older components of it, uh, Gordon Hayward, he's still in his prime and demonstrated last year with a record, I think, what, almost 10 games below 500 when he was out and much above 500 when he was in, if he's healthy, this is a playoff squad for Charlotte. I like that point. There's always going to be teams, and I think that team last year was New York. And last year was such like a weird year with the COVID stuff and the injuries and the condensation of games and and things like that. But you know, look at New York. I mean, it felt like that was a team that just hit everything. They won every close game they needed to do. They really kind of maxed out. Tom Thibodeau got everything he could out of that team. The only real injury they had last year was Mitchell Robinson, who was essentially their backup center. And they, you know, really, I don't think anybody in the world had New York penciled in as a four seed going into the season. And so things happen. You did not think the Knicks were going to be playing home games at Madison Square Garden to open the playoffs. And same thing with Toronto last year. I think people kind of said Toronto was going to be, you know, after losing Kawhi, would kind of get back to where they were. And then, you know, things happened with COVID and they're being out of location and things like that. Indiana, I think everyone kind of penciled in as maybe that four or five seed. And look at them, coaching change. I mean, that was, they had one year of Nate Bjork and it just didn't click for whatever reason. Then they had injuries. So that's kind of the beauty and the excitement of the NBA is like, you know, things are going to happen and how do you adapt to them and 
how you deal with the adversity and the injuries and hopefully not as much COVID related stuff this year. But that's what makes it so fun is it's so unpredictable night to night. But I think overall, I think it's safe to say just if you look at the grand picture, the offseason, a lot of teams in the East got better. A lot of them added talent. A lot of them are going to benefit from playoff runs like the Knicks, which sort of run the Hawks too, things like that. So it should be exciting. And again, I think, you know, having a lot of competition in the East is only going to make a young team like the Hornets better because you're seeing really, really good teams on a nightly basis. Certainly encourage you to check out these power rankings. They're available right now on NBA.com. And feel free to let us know where you think the Hornets should be in the Eastern Conference. Coming up next, it is Hall of Fame weekend for the class of, is it 2021 now? I think we're back on schedule. Lots of big names, obviously, going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. We're going to touch on a couple of them next here on the Hornets Hivecast. Be sure to check out the Hornets Fan Shop at Spectrum Center. Now open Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Check out all the newest Hornets gear or grab a new pair of J's. It's an easy trip on the light rail or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 at HornetsFanshop.com. Sam Farber, Sam Hurley, Rob Longo here with you on the HHC. It is Hall of Fame induction weekend, gentlemen, and very star-studded as always class as it should be. It's the Hall of Fame. Big, big names. Players like Chris Bosh and Paul Pierce and Ben Wallace are going in from the NBA. You've got some notable coaches, Jay Wright from the college ranks, and just a whole list of notable players and personalities that are entering the Hall of Fame this weekend. Let's go around the table. Your most notable name or someone that sticks out to you, maybe a story you have about someone here going in. No one with really strong Charlotte ties to speak of, but some certainly notable personalities that have given a lot to the game of basketball. Who wants to go first? I will defer to the senior panelist on this podcast if he likes. I'm just hoping you don't take mine. So go ahead, go ahead. I, can, I don't I think can you will. It's a risky um, <laughs> uh, situation there. Yeah, Rob, the rules, Rob rules. Rob rules are in effect. Boo. You may not copy Sam Perley. Um, mine is Tony Kukoc. I think, and hopefully Rob is, is nodding in agreement. I did that's just good. start rewatching The Last Dance a couple days ago, so that's a good pick. I enjoy that. Okay. So I'm safe here. No, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think sometimes we forget that this is the Basketball Hall of Fame and not the NBA Hall of Fame. So obviously two, Tony Kukoc was an integral part of the second three-peat for the Bulls, was a six-man of the year. You know, he was one of the big guys, probably the best player outside of the Jordan Pippen Rodman big three. And had a really tremendous career, but I think a lot of his big impact was he was one of the original trailblazers coming from Europe trailblazers not portland but just in the actual in general term to kind of open the door for european players to come to the league you know him vladi divak drazen petrovic guys like this this on those really powerhouse yugoslavian national teams i mean before yugoslavia broke up you know their national team was extraordinarily talented i mean they were going to the world cup finals and winning european championships and they really kind of opened the door for guys later to come along like dirk like tony parker guys like that i mean he was kind of the forefront of that and i mean he was a three-time euro league champion in croatia has been on the Yugoslavian and Croatian national teams. And another thing, too, I think kind of gets glossed over a little bit is he was one of the guys, along with Vladi Divac, who helped found Basketball Without Borders back in late 
to late 1990s, early 2000s as a ways to bring together children from different cultures and different nationalities, kind of in light of the post-Yugoslavian wars, Turkish and Greek tensions, things like that. So has had a really kind of powerful impact in basketball in Europe, in the NBA, in a community sense. And like you said, Basketball Without Borders has been a huge part of the international scouting process for the last 20 years. I mean, I don't know how many international players in the league today have not been a part of that in some, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Europe. So I think it's really cool that Tony Tuku coach because he just it's touched a little bit of everywhere in the basketball world. So I think it's awesome that he's going in this year. He's just a true you know, ambassador to the game, player, you know, administrator, things like that. I like it. Rob Longo. I'm going to go with Ben Wallace. Hopefully I didn't take yours. Just because, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, I didn't have an NBA team to follow or anything like that. And Ben Wallace in that mid-2000s Detroit Pistons teams with Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton and all those guys, that was when I first really got into the NBA. And, you know, I just remember Ben Wallace flying through the air and pulling down rebounds and swatting the ball four rows into the crowd with that big afro. You know, that just kind of is one of my first fond memories of the NBA. Like, you know, I watched the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq and, and all that stuff in the early 2000s. But Ben Wallace is probably my most fond memory just watching those guys beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the finals. And that's kind of like my first really big memory of the NBA. I like it. I like it. I've got two in mind. One is Lauren Jackson, one of the all-time greatest female basketball players of all time and just best basketball players, period, of all time. I think she is kind of like, almost like a Pau Gasol type on the women's side of the game where from an Olympic standpoint, she, as a member of the Australian national team, they were always right there kind of pushing the USA as best as anyone really could in some of those tournaments trying to win a gold medal. The gap between other teams and Team USA has been larger on the women's side than it has been more recently on the men's side. But nevertheless, Lauren Jackson was someone who really pushed that Australian national team multiple-time MVP in the WNBA. Just a spectacular 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 player who very deservingly gets into the Hall of Fame here. The other one is Bill Russell. And he has obviously been in the Hall of Fame before as a player, but he goes in as a coach. He coached a couple of different franchises after he was done playing, but it still kind of boggles my mind that he was able to win two titles as player slash coach. And it's easy to say, well, it was a different era, maybe a simpler time. I don't think it was that much simpler. There's a, I, I think it's a joke basically from Blake Griffin. He was on one of the late night programs and talking about how ridiculous it is to you have players asked questions, probing hard questions immediately after playing a game. It's like, we've just exercised for the last three hours and now you want us to dissect whatever it is you want us to and then I think he had Jimmy Fallon do jumping jacks and then starts asking him questions well think about playing a game and having to coach simultaneously it's ridiculous and yet Bill Russell one of the greatest ever to play the game also was able to win two titles. He also had a couple of playoff runs as I believe the coach of Seattle later on too, but just a very deserving person. Anytime you can honor Bill Russell, it's a good thing. Here's a question for you guys. When was the last time in the NBA someone was a player coach? How long ago do you think it was? I think Sam would get really close to this. I have no idea who it is, but I would guess I feel like maybe in the late 70s, early 80s, it was some sort of like 
NBA was in such a weird time at that point before the TV stuff really exploded. And you always read about stories that are kind of uh, kind of nutty happening then. So I will say 1982, and I have no idea who it would be, but you, I'm sure you're going to tell me the, the answer. The latest I can <laughs> see is Dave Cowens, also of the Celtics, 78-79, and they were not good. They were 27-41, and 41, far from the uh, the 661 winning percentage that Bill Russell posted. Only two player coaches have gone into the Hall of Fame as both a player and as a coach. The other is Lenny Wilkins, but again, nowhere near, actually never made the playoffs, so nowhere near the same type of team success as the great Bill Russell had. So a couple of notable names. They're all notable. They're all deserving going into the Hall of Fame and congratulations to one and all on that incredible accomplishment, a celebration of their lifetime commitment and what they have given to the game. And uh, we wish them all well and look forward to uh, the next crop coming up and hopefully some more Charlotte connections will be in the future going to the Hall as well. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Hornet Tivecast. A reminder, we are just weeks away from the start of training camp as well as preseason action and regular season action. You can get all your ticket information on Hornets.com. We would love to see you back at the Hive as we get back to the upcoming 2021-2022 season. For Rob Longo and Sam Perley, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Hornets Hivecast. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.